All right, Acts chapter 26. We are going to be in verses 19 through 23. So, and we should finish this chapter next week, but I didn't want to try to take too much uh, in, in one chunk today. So, Paul is before King Agrippa, and Paul is answering the king. And as Paul is answering the king, or giving his defense, if you will, Paul gives witness to his conversion. Remember, Paul tells the king who he was and who he is now. So Paul is giving witness to his conversion and the appearing of Christ to him on the road to Damascus. And Paul assures Agrippa who he once was, remember, a persecutor of Christ. And then he gladly proclaims who he now is, a preacher of Christ and a preacher of the gospel. So Paul is boldly declaring to Agrippa his obedience to the heavenly vision. And here's where we're going to pick up our text today, Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 19 through verses 23. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting of repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, To this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer and that he would first rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Christ, and we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, illuminate this word today. Lord, cause it to change us, to transform us. Convict us of our sin, God. Convict us of our unbelief, God. Convict us of our rebellion, God. And in your grace and in your mercy, bring us to repentance that we would be a people, Lord, obedient to your call, obedient to your gospel, obedient to your word, that we would be bright lights witnesses to you in this dark world. Father, we ask that you would do this for our good, but mostly, Lord, that you would do it for your glory. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to talk about the response that the gospel demands. And we're also going to, in obedience to Jesus, baptize two disciples today. So if you're here and you've never been baptized before and you consider yourself a covenant member of God's body, if you profess faith in Jesus, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, today is your fortunate day. You can get baptized today, and I will be happy to do it for you. And you say, well, I didn't bring any clothes. You know, Well, that's okay. Clothes dry. You wash your clothes. They get wet in the washing machine. They'll dry after you get baptized. No big deal. No big deal. Your soul is much more important than uh, whether your clothes get wet or not. All right, so we're going to talk about the response that the gospel demands. 
And our call in response to the gospel is, first and foremost, to obey Christ. And Paul says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So in proclaiming his obedience to the heavenly vision, Paul is proclaiming his obedience to Christ. Those words of the Apostle Paul declaring his obedience to the heavenly vision remind us of our own obedience to Christ. God did not save us to remain in disobedience, but to walk in obedience before him. The prophet Samuel rebuked King Saul, and he said these words to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's in 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Jesus tells his own disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, if you love me, then obey me. Obedience to God is the fruit of faith. More specifically, it is the fruit of the Spirit. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, is what Paul wrote to the Galatians. In other words, if you want to stop sinning, if you want to stop giving place to the flesh, then walk in the Spirit. You say, well, what does that mean, Pastor Jeff? That means submit yourself to God's will. Submit yourself to God's Word. Submit yourself to God's Spirit. And walk according to the Spirit of God and not according to the lusts of this world. Obedience to God is the fruit of faith. Obedience is the true measure of a Spirit-filled life, for it indicates our submission to the life of the Spirit that dwells within us. If we are children of God, if we have been born again of the Spirit, if we've been regenerated by the power of God and by the Spirit of God, then the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. You don't get saved and then you wait for the Spirit to come and and, and invade you and fill you. No, when you get saved, when you're born again, the only way you can be born again is for the Spirit of God to come and live in you. And if the Spirit of God lives in you, The Bible teaches us that we should live under submission to that spirit that lives in us. And so this is what it means to show forth the fruit of the spirit. Remember, we talk about this quite frequently, that in everything, in all of creation, God shows us this pattern. So where do peaches come from on a peach tree? They're produced from the life inside the tree. And you go through winter and the tree looks like it's dead, but then all of a sudden the weather warms and, and, and these little buds appear on the tree and they turn into you know little bitty buds and then they turn into flowers and guess what those flowers turn into? They turn into fruit. Well, where did that fruit come from? It didn't come from the outside, it came from the inside. And that fruit on the tree shows us that there's life on the inside of the tree, that that tree is connected to a root and there's nourishment and there's life. Well, that is the life of the Spirit. That is the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in us, then the fruit of the Spirit has got to be seen in our lives. And this is what we're talking about today. This is, this is the demand that the, the, the gospel places upon us. If we profess to believe the gospel, to obey the gospel, then there has to be fruit in our lives. And obedience is the true measure of a spirit-filled life. Because our obedience is going to show forth that 
fruit of the Spirit. Romans 6.12, Paul writes, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. We're teaching through the book of Romans on Wednesday nights. And we just were in Romans uh, chapter 6, as a matter of fact. And this is talking about sin in the context of a king. Don't let sin reign. Who reigns? Kings reign. And Paul is writing and he's saying, don't let sin be the king of your life. Let Jesus be the king of your life. Don't let sin reign in your life. Let Jesus reign in your life. Don't live obedient obedient to sin. Live obedient to Jesus. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Instead, let Jesus reign in you and obey his spirit in the fruit of the spirit. Let that be manifest through your life. In Christ, we have been delivered from the nature of sin and death that ruled us. Now, in Christ, we can obey God. We can obey his word we can submit to the Spirit and refuse to let sin reign in our mortal body so that we no longer obey it in its lust. Instead, now we walk in the Spirit and we obey Christ. Our walk in the Spirit is one of obedience in Christ as we declare the gospel and make known his light to the world. This is what Paul was doing before Agrippa. He was obedient to the heavenly vision. He was there boldly proclaiming the gospel. He was not ashamed of the gospel. He was not ashamed to say who he was because of who he now is. He was a persecutor. Now he's a preacher of Christ. And he was standing boldly before this king who held his future in his hands, or so the king thought. The reality was Paul understood exactly who held his future. Jesus held his future. It's like the song we sing. Jesus commands our destiny. And Paul knew it wasn't Agrippa. It wasn't Festus. It wasn't Felix. It was not even Caesar who commanded his destiny. It was the Lord Jesus. And this is why Paul could stand before great men or he could stand before mobs. And he was not afraid because he knew that God was the one in control of his life. And we today should have the very same courage that the Apostle Paul had and all the other apostles and all those that have gone before us through the ages that have brought the gospel we preach today to our very doorstep, to our very time, the very day that we're living in. We too must walk in that obedience and we too must walk in courage and proclaim that gospel in courage. Our call and response to the gospel is to declare Christ and his salvation. And this is what Paul, Paul says to the king. He says, King, I declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do the works befitting of repentance. Paul is giving a broad overview of who he first declared the gospel to in his obedience to that heavenly vision. First, he declares to the Jews in Damascus. He leaves Damascus, he comes back to Damascus, then he goes to Jerusalem. Then he declared in Jerusalem to the Jews, and throughout the region of Judea, and then ultimately to the Gentiles. 
Luke is not laying out a detailed record of Paul's journey in these verses. This is the record of Paul presenting an overview of his journey from his conversion to his present position as a prisoner before Agrippa. Paul gives more detailed information about his journey in this letter, in his letter to the Galatians. And the reason I mention that is because there are some critics who say that Luke presents a different version than Paul presents in Galatians. And it's not that Luke is contradicting Paul or Paul is contradicting Luke. It's that we read the entirety of the scripture to get all of the story. It's like the Gospels. The four Gospels were never meant to be four identical versions of Jesus' life. They were meant to be versions that complemented and gave the fullness of who Jesus was. And each Gospel writer wrote about Jesus demonstrating or portraying a different characteristic of who Jesus is. Jesus the King, Jesus the Servant, Jesus the Man, and Jesus who is God. That is how the four Gospels present it. And they present all of the things of the Gospel from different points of view. Not contradictory points of view, but different points of view. And here Luke is telling before King Agrippa an overview of how he came to be the prisoner standing in his midst that day making his defense. Paul is telling Agrippa how he came to declare the gospel and to whom that gospel has been declared. It was Paul's work in the gospel with the Gentiles that has landed him here before Agrippa. And it is his call to the Gentiles that will carry him to Rome to make known the gospel there in Rome until his death. And just as Paul made known the gospel of Christ to all men, as followers of Jesus, we are commanded to make disciples of Christ by making known the gospel and teaching men to obey all that Jesus has commanded. This is our obedient response to the gospel. The declaration of the gospel demands a response to the gospel. Our call and response to the gospel is to repent, to turn to God, and do the works befitting of repentance. This is what Paul tells Agrippa. King, I have declared to Jews and to Gentiles, from Damascus to Jerusalem to now standing before you, I have declared to them that they must repent, they must turn to God, and they must do works befitting repentance. So let's talk about that. To repent is our obedient response to the gospel. And Paul, in proclaiming the gospel to Jew and Gentile, declared that they should repent. The gospel, the gospel calls men to repentance. To repent literally means to change one's mind. So repentance is a change of thinking. It's a change of mind. Nothing else is going to change in your life until your mind changes, until your thinking changes. Your behavior is not going to change until your thinking changes. And this is why repentance is the first thing Paul declares to those he's proclaiming the gospel to. Repent. Change your mind. We sometimes think about repentance as a change of heart. And sometimes we say that, oh, won't you change your heart? We need to understand something. 
It is impossible for you to change your heart. You can't change your heart. You can change your mind, but you can't change your heart. Our condition of being dead in sin and separated from God is a heart condition. Our hearts are dark, they are black, they are hard, and no matter how hard you try or you work, you can't change your heart. Only God can change your heart. That is something that we need to fundamentally understand about our salvation and about the gospel. It is the gospel that breaks hard hearts. It is the gospel that brings the power of God that will change your heart, that will give you a new heart. Only God can change your heart. And when God gives us a new heart, we are given the grace to change or to renew our mind. And as you read the scripture, especially the letters of Paul, this is what Paul is telling the church to do. Renew your mind. And this is what he, he writes in his letter to the Romans, Romans 12, 1. I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship, no longer being conformed to this world, but being transformed, how? By changing your heart? No, but by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. How can we renew our minds? Because God has given us a heart to love him, a heart to seek him, a heart to desire him, and out of that new heart, we are commanded to change our minds. How do we change our minds? Through the washing of the water of the word. You read the word, you pray the word, you study the word, you meditate the word, and it is that word of God that changes our mind. Remember, I've said this before. When Noah got, got walked off the ark, he had lived on the earth 600 years. In a year of that 600 years, he lived on a boat with nothing but water to see. So for 600 years, the day Noah walks off that ark, his only memory of the earth is his past memory. He's walking onto a new earth, and what's he going to have to do? He can't go by his memory because that earth doesn't exist anymore. He's going to have to renew his mind to the newness of the earth he's now on. How does he do that? He walks in it. He learns it, he studies it, he experiences it, and that is a process of renewing his mind to the new creation. That picture of Noah is the exact picture that we have when we become new creations in Jesus. God doesn't erase our mind, he doesn't erase all of our old thoughts, our bad thoughts, our good thoughts. We have all of our memories, we've got our minds still there. What we need to do now in the reality of the new creation is renew it to the newness not keep living as if we're still in the oldness. And so it's important for us that we change our minds, that we renew our minds. We cannot give ourselves a new heart, but we can renew our mind through the word of God. And that is exactly what we are commanded to do. This is what it means to repent, to change our mind, and to have our mind conform to the mind of Christ. Our obedience to the gospel is to repent. It is to change our mind. Then Paul says, turn to God. He said, I declared to them to repent 
and turn to God. So turning to God is part of repentance because we don't just change our mind. The point of changing the way we think about things is so that we can change the way we actually live. To repent, to change your mind, has got to be coupled with turning toward God. It's a picture of turning away from my sin and turning toward God. Sometimes we hear people say, he did a complete 360. Well, if he did, he's right back in his sin. We don't want to do a 360. We want to do a 180. We want to to turn from our sin, and we want to turn to God. And this is part of repentance. The, The point of changing our mind is that our life would change. And so the response of the gospel is to turn to God. And we see the progression that takes place. By the power and the grace of God, our hearts are made new. The gospel calls us to change our mind, to repent. And from a changed way of thinking or a changed heart, a changed mind, our focus is to turn to God in Christ. The gospel calls us to turn. To turn around from the direction we were going, away from God, and now turn to God and head toward God. It is by God's grace that we are changed, that we can repent and that we can turn to God in acceptance of him through faith. This is the grace of God. The product of repentance is a turning toward God. And we not only change our mind, but we change our direction. We literally turn away from sin and darkness and turn toward life and light. We turn to God in Christ, for it is only in Christ that we may come to the Father. There is not another way. There is not many ways to the same God. There is only one way to the Father. That's not my opinion. That's the Word of God. That's what Jesus said. And if you don't believe the Word of God, then you've got a, you've got a much bigger problem. You can't be saved and not believe the Word of God. You can't. You can't say, well, I, I, I just believe God is good and, and, and God's going to see that I'm good enough. No, you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. No man is good enough. Only Jesus was good enough. And unless you turn to Jesus and surrender your life to Jesus, you will never be good enough. Not everybody believes that. But whether we believe that or not doesn't change the truth. The truth is the truth. So our obedience to the gospel is to turn away from sin and turn to God. Then Paul says, I declared that they repent, that they turn to God and do works befitting repentance. This is our obedient response to the gospel. In other words, our response to the gospel cannot remain invisible. I can't just hold Jesus in my heart, in my mind, and keep him hid out there. This is what the world wants us to do. For right now, the world is content if we just stay confined to our four walls and have our preaching and gospel time in here. But don't take it outside these walls. Don't talk about it out there because it's offensive. You better believe it's offensive. This is why Paul is standing before this king. They tried to kill him. The gospel was so offensive. In fact, they killed Jesus because the gospel was so offensive. And don't think that we'll get off any lighter because we won't. 
Our response to the gospel cannot remain invisible. Our response to the gospel must become visible and made known where life is lived out. It's got to be seen in our life. Our response to the gospel cannot stay in our heart. It can't stay in our mind. It's got to flow and be known from every part of us. The gospel must flow from our new heart to our renewed mind and out of our mouth, and it must flow from our fingertips and our toes. It must guard our ears and our eyes. The gospel must define us inside and out. To obey the gospel is to do works befitting of repentance. The gospel is not passive. It is active. The gospel works To obey the gospel is to do works befitting repentance. That means doing works and living in a manner consistent with Christ. We need to understand we're not going to answer to our friends. We're not going to answer to our family. We're not going to answer to our loved ones. We're not even going to answer to our spouse, our husband, our wife, our parents, our children. We're going to answer to God one day. And what you do in this life matters. What you do in this life, you will and I will give an account to God one day. You say, yeah, but you know, Jesus died and he took away my sins. That's true. Are you trusting Jesus? And the measure that we know how much we trust Jesus, I will submit to you, is how much we obey Jesus. We can say we trust Jesus all day long, but the proof is in the eating. Proof is in the pudding. The proof is in our obedience. If you never opened your mouth, would people know that you trust Jesus by watching your life and how you live? Our obedience to the gospel will produce works in us that demonstrate a life transformed by Christ. Our call and response to the gospel therefore, is not always popular. Paul says in verse 21, For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Our obedient call in response to the gospel will not only impact and change us, it will impact and change those around us, some for good and some not. For Paul, his obedience to the gospel resulted in many coming to faith in Christ, but it also made many seek to kill him. It caused him to be falsely accused and arrested, and even though he was innocent of their charges, Paul was persecuted for the cause of Christ, and we are subject to the same treatment for Christ's sake. If we live and love the same way Jesus did, we will be treated the same way Jesus was treated. You hear this very often in the world. Well, if the church was just more like Jesus. No, I'm going to tell you what. If the church was really more like Jesus, the world would hate us even more. Part of the problem is now too much of the church wants the world's approval when in reality Jesus is telling us, forget the world's approval. You better be looking to the approval of the Father. And if the church was truly more like Jesus, the world would hate us even more. That is just the reality because there is no one on this earth that will love the way Jesus loved. There is no one on this earth that has the compassion and the care for humanity that Jesus did. And in spite of all the love and all the care and all the compassion of Jesus, what did they do to him at the end of it all? 
They crucified him. And they mocked him. So don't think that we're going to be any different than Jesus. And the more we are like Jesus, the more we are subject to the same treatment the world gave to Jesus. The difference is we have a power the world doesn't have. And our hope is, is not in not being persecuted. Are you, are you with me, church? Our hope is not avoiding persecution. It is, it is, in fact, persecution that God may use to change the world because that's the pattern he has shown us throughout the Scripture, that he uses persecution to bring the change necessary. And so the gospel continues to grow and grow and grow and fill the earth. Don't be afraid of the gospel. and Don't be afraid of the truth. And don't be afraid of the world. Paul is here committed to preaching the gospel to all men. He loves God. He loves his fellow man. So he is compelled to preach the gospel out of love. The demand of the gospel places on men will either turn them to God or it will turn them further from God. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Beware of those who have pleasure in unrighteousness. Beware if you find yourself finding pleasure in unrighteousness. This is the call of the gospel. Repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Those who are given God's word, who love the truth, are often opposed and hated by those who believe the lie and have pleasure in unrighteousness. John 17, 14, and 15, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and that includes us. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Stop looking for a rapture and start doing the works befitting repentance. We're not escaping. We're building the kingdom of God. God never said, I'm going to take you out of this world. He said, I want you to stay in this world, and I want you to be salt and light in this world, and I want my kingdom to come and fill this world. And when it's time, God will call us home if it's before his return to the earth. Jesus has prayed for those who are his. We may be hated by the world because we're not of the world, but we are kept from the evil one. That's good news. We belong to Jesus, and no man or demon can pluck us from his hand. The devil can't steal you from Jesus. No man can take you away from Jesus. You belong to him. Our obedient response to the gospel may cause the world to hate us, but no amount of hatred from this world can separate us from the love of God. Our call and response to the gospel is not without help from God. Paul says, therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. Our obedient 
call and response to the gospel is not possible apart from God's grace. God is our help. Paul was constantly acknowledging the help he received from God. The help we receive from men is help we obtain from God. God works through one to help another. That's why we're to love one another, pray for one another, support one another, encourage one another. Some of the most powerful and effective help we get from God is from one another. And whatever we walk through in this life, God has promised we do not walk alone. His promise is that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. In fact, this is what the writer of Hebrew encourages us with in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Nothing. Kill your physical body? Send you to the presence of Jesus? The Lord is our helper. We have nothing to fear. The very worst man can do is kill the body, but he cannot rob us of the eternal life and glory we have in Jesus Christ. God is with us, and he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Our witness is to be bold, saying no other things than those which the apostles and the prophets and Jesus himself have said. Let us walk no other way than the way Jesus himself walked, in submission to the will of the Father. We give witness to small and great, the powerful gospel of Christ, knowing that God is our ever-present help. When we walk in obedience to Christ, whatever we are doing, we do all with the help of God. God sent help to us when we were helpless. The Father sent the Son and Jesus came and he willingly obeyed in love. And not only that, but he has not left us orphans. He has not left us alone. He has given to us a helper to eternally abide in us, the Holy Spirit of God. In Christ, we are never without help. We are never without power to save and to deliver. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 57 and 58. Paul ends this chapter with these words, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory Through our Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thanks be to God who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus commands us to go and to make disciples. We are to go baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are to go teaching them to obey all things that Jesus commands. And his promise to us is that he is with us always. Here is your charge today. The gospel demands a response. And the fundamental response to the gospel demands loving obedience to Christ. From our love for Christ, our obedience will be fulfilled. To repent, to turn to God, to do the works befitting of repentance, 
will be our labor of love to the glory of God when we respond in obedience to the gospel. The gospel always receives a response. It is either a response in obedience to God or a response in rebellion against God. May we be a people that purpose to walk with God's help by God's grace in obedience to the call and response the gospel of Christ demands of us.